Thank you, Zach. I want to commend our, our families and our parents, uh, you know, to teach a kid to sit, listen. We all hear Romans 10, 15, where Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It, it's listening to sermons like that, which faith God uses, it, it's not through any other means. And so I commend our families for, for giving the attention that's do the Word of God. Thank you so much for joining us. And so as we break it open again, I think it's worthy of our prayers. Huh? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing it is to gather together, to slow down our lives today and just to see you in a new way because you do reveal your ways to us as your people. And as we do so, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us and that, Lord God, you would be glorified as we seek to follow you, to know you, and to walk in your ways. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been in this short series on wisdom, as I mentioned at the welcome. And we spent the first week, first we defined it. Wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. In other words, this is how, how life really is in our day. And so... With the first week, we talked about if we're going to begin to walk the way of wisdom, we need to embrace the joyful fear of the Lord, that we love him, we understand who he is and who we are, and he still loves us anyway, and it's a joyful fear out of reverence and awe and understanding his grace upon us. And as we do so, we recognize that it's foolishness to the world, but to us it's the power of God. So we embrace the, the foolishness of that grace. Last week, we spent time breaking down Proverbs 3, that first we need to know God, that we bind God as the tablet around our necks, <laughs> that we have him, we know him. We just know about him, we know him. We have a personal love relationship with the living Lord. From that love, we trust him completely in every aspect of our lives. Life gets confusing at times, but we trust him in him. Some trust in chariots, others in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Third, we learned to lean in community, that we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. I mean, live in community. We're in church, and it's beyond Sundays. It's all throughout the week that we make friends with one another. We have no other interest but the gospel with one another, and we support one another in that. And finally, we acknowledge his word. We acknowledge him in all his ways, not our ways, as we seek to follow him. So those are the first two weeks, and we arrive today at this very positive chapter about how we, too, can live this life of wisdom. For it was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Every one of us want to be known as people of abundant life. We all want abundant life. We don't deserve it, we, but we can have it because Jesus gives it freely and fully to us on terms of his grace. James said, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And this is the gift he wants to give us. The gospel is not about what we can give to God. The gospel is about what God gives to us. And so no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your relationship with the Lord, beginning today,
through Jesus Christ, you can have this abundant life. Because this is what chapter 4 of Proverbs is all about. And he gives it freely. His gospel is so inviting. Thomas Chalmers was a great Puritan Scottish preacher 200 years ago. And he said this. Even when we see the stupidity of our sins and how empty they are and how they only make us sad, that realization still does not change us. We start changing only when we see Christ. When we see that Christ will make us alive in ways our most darling sins cannot. When we see that in Christ we're not losing anything but our damnation. And gaining everything we desire in our own deepest intentions. The gospel shows us Jesus pouring out his lifeblood so that we can live. The gospel says, look at him. Follow him. Come to him. You will stop dying and start living and it will never end. Takes a Scott, huh? To wake us up on Sunday morning. It's great. And I think if, if, if we were all in the confessional, the Anglican confessional, all right, we would all admit that we want to stop dying and we want to start living in the gospel. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Or in the back of your bulletin, it's also there. Because what Proverbs 4 shows us is the abundant life in Jesus Christ and a life of wisdom. And this was the easiest structure I've had all year. Because if you have an ESV Bible, you're going to see it in paragraphs. And I go, ooh, this is fun. You know, very plainly laid out for us. Verses 1 through 9 tell us how to get going in wisdom. First uh, chapter, verses 10 through 19 tell us how to keep going in wisdom. And verses 20 through 27 Tell us how to not get lost along the way. All right? So that's where we are going today. First, how to get wisdom. How to get going. Uh, chapter 4, verse, beginning with verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. This is exciting because we believe this is Solomon speaking to one of his sons. You know, we're not exactly sure who, but one of his sons and he's inviting his son in to a conversation that he had with his son, his father, King David. It's as if he's saying, come here, son, I want to tell you what grandpa taught me, how to live this abundant life of wisdom, all right? We see three generations of, of, of our family as if to say, remember what grandpa used to say. We are being invited into the tradition of wisdom. Tradition is a previous generation's handed down to us from their own generation. Our forefathers are not disqualified from speaking into our lives by the, just by the accident of their death. In fact, they have an advantage over us. 
They fought the good fight. They finished the race. They kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4.7 We, you and I, today are less than truly proven. For example, I had a graduating class of 45 at Trinity who graduated with me in 2003. Only a handful of us are still in Christian ministry. A handful. No, my friends, Proverbs 4 is alerting us to the past of the value of past voices. Uh, Those who have already gone the distance have something to say that we do not. And that's why we sung for all the saints to open up our service today. I don't know if you caught it. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon to faithful warriors cometh rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Can you hear the voices calling to you in that? Think about it. There have been 2,000 years since our Lord was on the planet, approximately 33 years to a generation. So there's been approximately 60 generations since Jesus. About 12 generations into this historical line came a person named Augustine. And Augustine taught us that God made us for himself and for his glory. And our hearts are restless till we find our rest in him. Augustine found his rest. About 32 generations into this historical line came a man named Anselm. Anselm taught us that we cannot know what a heavyweight sin is until we come to Christ And when we come to Christ, that weight is lifted. And oh, my friends, Anselm, for Anselm, that weight was lifted. About 45 generations into this historical line came Martin Luther. He taught us that God treats bad people like good people through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Received only through faith. And Luther entered into that grace. This is the most, for me, it's the most exciting, is this wee little man with a booming voice in England in the 1700s came along and woke the country up with the sounding news of the gospel, teaching us that salvation is a gift of God to receive by faith alone, and it's for lay people, people like you who go out to work tomorrow morning and they bought it and they made them accountable to one another and it was the lay people in England at the first great awakening that woke it up it wasn't just Wesley and they did life together and they served together and they flourished together and 59 generations into it Along came a man in 1976 named John Howe to Truro Church. He taught me and Kim and that congregation what revival looked like. Genuine revival. He came in five, with an average Sunday attendance of 500. When, when we left and Martin Minns was the rector, it was a church of 3,000. And it was because the lay people 
we would look to our friends and we'd say, you got to hear this. This is amazing. And he emphasized Methodist-like groups called shepherd home, shepherd groups. And we, we, we did life together. And David and Donna Blackstone, when I was a young believer with just me and Kimmy with Becca in tow, David and Donna loved us and taught us the gospel. And it was exciting. The Bible says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way, their way of life and imitate their faith. We don't imitate their style, but we'd be fools not to imitate their faith. It took them all the way into eternity. That's why C.S. Lewis said, for every book that you read of this generation, you need to read another one of a previous generation. These old dead guys speak from proven experience. So what are they telling us? Jesus didn't fail us. He won't fail you. Go for it. So the father here in Proverbs 4 is looking deep into the eyes of his dear son, urging him to set his heart firmly on the prize that matters the most. It's the prize in all this world that cannot fail him. What is the prize? Get wisdom, verse 5. Get insight. Carol read it very well with that emphasis. Go get it. Wisdom, get insight. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. All right? Do you feel the urgency about getting wisdom? Today. Hello, today. All right? You might be thinking like some that are within the sound of my voice. Oh, how quaint. Let's be wise people. Uh, maybe you feel that way about wisdom, but you feel more urgent about other goals elsewhere. But God the Father is looking into your eyes and into your soul this morning and saying, whatever you get right now, get wisdom, get insight. The NIV clarifies it with a little more force. Say, though it costs all you have, get understanding. It's pretty good because it is going to cost you. But why, and why pay that price, Gene? Well, verse 4, because God's word makes you alive. Keep my commandments and live. Verse 6, it will guard you if you love her. Verse, verse 8 and 9, his wisdom will exalt and honor you and crown you with beauty. What Solomon is saying to each and every one of us, my friends, is this is how life really is, right? This is how it works. Who or what else can promise you that? Because every day in our culture, we're being told that in order to really make it, in order to really live, you need to be young, thin, tanned, sexually active, rich, and a smart aleck, all right? That's our cultural idea, and that's the wisdom of our age. Just one question for you. How's that working? Huh? How's that working for you? 
If you actually got hold of all of that, would you walk away from that with the abundant, fulfilling life and a complete human being? Really? All those young, thin, tanned, sexually active, rich, smart-alecky people. Name me one person who's thrown himself into a life like that that you would want to emulate. Name me one. And how do you explain 2,000 years of all types of people, especially those 18th century Methodists who despite all the disparaging things that they were saying about them, loved the Lord and blessed Great Britain with such a blessing that Great Britain couldn't ignore them. I want to be like them. I want to be like Paul House. I want to be like John Howe. I want to be like David and Donna Blackstone. We face a choice today. The proven way of Christ or the defunct way of humanity. And whichever you choose, it's going to cost you. Both will cost you. But Jesus is so gracious. And to follow him, you don't need to measure up to the cultural idea of cool. You don't have to hop on the scale and get your weight done. It's going to cost you, but you will get Christ. All you need to do is be decisive. Do you feel like something in your life needs to change? Do you want to turn a corner in your walk with Christ? Don't you want the newness and freshness of the new life in Christ? Come and get it. Decisiveness is what you need. Let's get wisdom. Let's get insight. Two, how to keep living wisely. There's a beautiful passage in that second paragraph, verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Isn't that great? The key metaphor in this second paragraph is the way. You see it in verse 11, the way of wisdom, the path of brightness. Verse 14, the path of the wicked, the way of evil. Verse 18, the path of the righteous. Verse 19, the way of the wicked. Solomon's trying to tell his son and tell us there's one path or the other. Pick one. We want to have a middle path. We try to create a middle path, don't we? And it's what the American church is right now. It's just the path of lukewarmness. It's the church of whatever. And God is telling us through this wise father, no, there's only two ways. A gloomy disaster of a life that walks on the wicked path or the life of wisdom. And therefore, God's wisdom is not an optional extra. Look at verse 13. He says, she is your life. So what does this path metaphor tell us? It tells us our lives are on, we're on a journey. 
It's not a quick fix. We take it one step at a time, constant, moment by moment, recommitments to the way of Christ. Getting up in the morning and saying to the Lord, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And as we go forward on this path, this Father has a warning for us. And he has a hope for us. It's a warning, not a threat. He's not saying, this is probably a good idea for the way you're supposed to live. No, he's saying, you follow my path, we're going to walk on a minefield. All right? Verse 14 through 17, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Because wickedness, sin, evil becomes compulsive behavior. And it's our nature of our depraved heart. And Jesus calls it slavery, John 8, 34. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's deep within us. And we can't just shut it down by a resolving to do so. So how do we see this at work in our culture today? Well, just think of our political scene. It's not just about winning. It's about destroying the other person. Think about the gambling industry. With all the wreck that it has made in lives, there's no stopping it. You see, we can scarcely understand the dark powers we unleash in ourselves when we take one step off the path of wisdom. The wise father here is warning us that we will be tempted. And behind every temptation is an overwhelming power of darkness and despair. So let's realize how much is at stake. And the best defense is a good offense. That's the second thing the father wants us to see. And that's why I read verse 18 first. I think it's the key verse in this second part. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. What keeps us going, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, is the hope, confidence, and expectancy of the good news of God's wisdom in Christ. You might not be much of a Christian right now. Who is? Welcome to the Gene Sherman Club. All right? But if you've chosen Christ, this verse is telling you that he is dawning in your life. There might be only a glimmer of light on the horizon, but it's rising. The darkness cannot stop it. Christ will bring his good work in your life to a high noon brilliance. Paul says this in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That bright gospel confidence is how you keep going step by step, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day on the path of wisdom. Third, 
how not to get lost. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In this final paragraph, the father is calling the son to pay attention to every step that he takes. He's calling us to a laser focus on his walk with the Lord on the path of wisdom. A lack of self-awareness will get us lost. But we keep making progress towards that high noon as it dawns as we walk in Christ with one another by applying the gospel to our heart constantly. The counsel of verse 23 is wise and it's opposite to the wisdom of our age. Because we're told today that if we're going to be happy, we need to assemble, all we need to do is to assemble around us our selfish little designer life consisting of our dream house, our trophy wife, our ideal job, and a 2020 Dodge Challenger to top it off. But the truth is, if we got all of that, it would only make us more depressed and angry because all those outward advantages would only mock our sadness within. Because life does not flow from the outside in. Life flows from the inside out. We need our hearts continually filled with the ever-fresh life of the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. I think Jesus had this verse in mind. When he said, John 7, 37 and 38, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's a direct parallel to verse 23. For from it flow springs of life. We will not lose our way on the journey of life if we keep coming to Jesus and drinking his acceptance. His forgiveness, his love. Everything else flows out from a deep love in there. But we replace it with stuff of this world. Janine Roth wrote a book, Women, Food, and God, who is not writing as a Christian, gets very close to this. She says, women turn to food when they're not hungry because they're hungry for something they can't name a connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something deathless, something sacred. But replacing the hunger for divine connection with double-stuffed Oreos is like giving a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It creates more thirst, more panic. What about us men? We need to guard our hearts too. What are you looking at your computer and taking into your heart, gentlemen? You remember that old Greek myth of Medusa? You look at her and you turn to stone. Pornography is a plague in God's church, an absolute plague. And it rewires the male brain and it hardens our hearts and it ruins relationships. No, your heart has a hunger and thirst that only Jesus Christ can satisfy. Men, women. 
And he can overflowingly forever free you. So come. Come as you are. Come moment by moment and drink in his grace and favor upon you. Don't cram your heart with the lies of the world, which are just full of death. Fill your heart with the love for Jesus, for the world, by trusting in Jesus' work for you, minute by minute, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. And as we draw the love that we crave from Jesus, it flows out from us naturally. You can't help but tell the people where you live, work, and play, you got to come hear this. This is great stuff. Look, it says in verse 24 and 27, it, it flows out to the various parts of our bodies. Put away from you a crooked mouth. Put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. See, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you also claims all of you from head to toe. So Paul was right in Romans 12 when he said, all of us, mind, body, spirit, soul, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, if, if we are distracted from real-time connection with the mercies of God so that our hearts grow cold, our mouths become reckless, our eyes become wayward, and our feet wandering, we're only one misstep away from a life-shattering catastrophe. That's what the wise father is saying. Every one of us is just a few minutes away from utter disaster. But if we are receiving by faith the good news of the gospel of Christ's love and constant supply from his throne of grace, we can't lose our way. It's the wise path. And we're on it. So let's apply this. Number one, be vigilant. Eyes forward. Slow down. That's a radical message in today's world. Slow down. That's what Sunday's all about, my friends. No work today. You hear me? No work. Unless for you it's rejuvenating. I'm taking a nap. All right? Don't judge me. You know? Sundays is what recreates you. If mowing the lawn recreates you, have at it. You know? I'm done with that. All right? No work. And around Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner, ask you or someone you know two questions. Number one, how did God speak to you today? How do you speak to you through the sermon? How do you speak to you through the word, the psalm that we prayed? One of the songs that we sang, whatever way, because the Holy Spirit does that if we come ready with hearts to receive him. Number one, slow down. That's what Sunday's all about, slowing down. Two, focus day by day on God's word. Read a little bit of it. 
The Bible reading plans are still up there. We put them up there in January. They're still there. Take one. Spend some time in the Word in little chunks and ask your Lord, show me your glory. And as, a, as something comes to you, write it down. And from there, what does God want you to do with it? Apply God's Word every day. Three, be a man, be a woman of prayer. Short spurts, that's what morning prayer and evening prayer is all about. You don't have to do it all in one time. I believe the American evangelical quiet time doesn't cut it. Because that's just a checkbox. Pray morning as you take, take the, your day to the Lord. Take your concerns to the Lord. Use morning prayer to get you there. And ask the Lord to intervene for your family and the world and the tasks you have ahead. Join us for midday prayer. That's what I do. I do morning and midday prayer. And as I lay our head down, Kimmy and I lay our heads down, we just we thank God for the blessings of this day and we ask Him to be with us through the night. Whatever works for you, but be a person of prayer. And last, serve others. Jesus says, my Father is at work around me. He's at work around us too in Christ. Pray that you would see where he's at work and join the Lord in it. You see, it's, it's all of your life. Why in the world with this standing with the Lord who loves you so, would you want to go back to what Tom, Thomas Chalmers said, the stupidity of our lives? <laughs> Did you catch that? That's not your path. That's not your destiny. Christ has set you apart for himself. Christ will have the final say in your life and his purpose of grace is dawning in you right now. Will you consecrate all of who you are to Christ and his wisdom? If you will keep your heart with all vigilance for his sake, Jesus will fill you with all the springs of his life. And with a heart filled with Christ, you will never, ever lose your way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have people who have gone before us, who encourage us, that you didn't fail them, you won't fail us either. And that that golden evening that brightens in the West will soon, to faithful warriors like us, cometh rest. And sweet will be that calm of paradise, the blessed in Christ. Alleluia. Lord, make that a reality in us as we seek to walk in your way of wisdom. And may we ask for wisdom continually in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.